Hope your Lord's Day has been just really wonderful and you've been able to enjoy time, perhaps with family, perhaps with uh, other friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're grateful the Lord's goodness has brought us back to this point here uh, this evening. Appreciate the opportunity to join in with you in worship and I pray that this part of our worship will also um, be able to go well. Let me go ahead and address the elephant in the room here. Um, so, I appreciate all the well wishes and congratulations to come our way with Andrew and Kayla now expecting um, a baby. We're in the gummy bear stage right now. So, um, but I'm just as precious as if the baby had already been born, right? Just as precious. So, uh, don't take too much about my reaction. Because um, this is my excited look. It just doesn't get any better than this. This is it. You know, I mean, you guys have been staring at me for a while. You know how that is. Plus, I'm still adjusting to being married. And so all these other changes are just um, going to have to wait till I finally get adjusted, adjusted to being married. So, um, do what? Um, my wife. No, I'm still adjusting to being married to Kelly. Okay, I'm still, I'm still adjusting to marriage. Okay, so all this, all this other that comes, um, it's going to have to wait till I get adjusted here. So, anyway, it's, it is uh, very exciting, and more, more great things will be coming along the way. I'm sure. The um, idea I want us to focus on is uh, the Beatitudes. We know about the Beatitudes uh, from Matthew 5 and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and you probably have most of those uh, memorized. Uh, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. There are also uh, several Beatitudes found in the book of Revelation. And I want us to settle in on one of those for our uh, brief study this evening uh, together. Revelation 14, 13. Revelation 14, 13 will be our beatitude study together uh, this evening. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors And their works do follow them. We're not accustomed to really thinking of death and happiness together. But here we are in Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead. Blessed are the dead. So we'll look at, as we usually do, several different vantage points uh, that can be brought uh, from this verse. So let's begin. Our point number one is that... Not even the most faithful people are exempt uh, from physical death. Everyone is going to be subjected until the Lord comes again. Uh, Everyone will be subjected to physical death. Even the most faithful, even the most cautious, even the most healthy, nonetheless, death is an appointment. We know Hebrews 9.27 pretty well. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, 
the judgment. Where is Paul? Where is John? Where is Barnabas? Where is Mary? Where is Joseph? Where is Abraham? All the great faithful have experienced uh, this uh, phenomenon that we call death, and we will too if the Lord doesn't come back in our, in our day. There is a sense in which we will never die. And I want us to notice that before we move on. John 11, beginning around verse 23, 24. You remember Jesus coming to the scene of the death of Lazarus. And he comes to Martha. Martha meets him on the way in. And he looks to her and says, your brother will rise again. She said, I know, Lord, my brother will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he die, yet shall he live. Though he die, yet shall he live. And Jesus goes on to say to her, He that lives and believes in me shall never die. And he didn't stop there. He asked her, he asked her Do you believe this? And she responded, Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into this world. So those on the earth, those of us who will submit to the Lord and follow Him in our fellowship with Him and continue to follow Him at the point of death, that relationship, that bond will not be cut off. It will not be severed. But rather it will continue even into eternity. Spiritually speaking, in that sense, we shall never die. It's like Paul saying in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, when we are absent from the body, then we are at home with the Lord. How thankful we are to be able to notice this first point, and that is that those of us, even the most faithful among us, are not exempt from death, but there is a sense in which we shall never die. Uh, die. Now I can look at passages like 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 we're absent from the body and home with the Lord and I can look at Philippians 1 and 23 where Paul says that to depart and be with Christ is very far better and I can look at that and I can agree with it and I can state it in a very intellectual way. I can just state it in a matter of fact way but emotionally we probably have a little bit more trouble don't we? A little bit more trouble coming to that point emotionally because death is difficult. Death means a, an ending of all that we've been trying to accomplish on earth. It's a severing, at least for a little while, of relationships that we've been enjoying on earth. And so maybe mentally we're able to say yes to be with the Lord and get out of this life is, is far better but emotionally, are we there yet? Yet, at the same time, the Lord says, you need to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we must get there emotionally as well. The apostle in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, he tells us a couple things about Jesus. He says, Jesus took on flesh for a certain purpose. He said um, Jesus took on flesh in order to both uh, destroy and deliver. 
It says there in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, He partook of the same, He partook of the flesh, so that through death He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. But then also Jesus came and died so He could deliver us, deliver those who through fear of death all their lifetime have been in a slavish bondage. So when Jesus died, he wanted to destroy the works of the devil, yes, but he also wants to deliver us from a fear of death which can bring us into a bondage. And so initially, let's just think about the fact that we all are going to die. All right, our second point is to mention and notice there are three ways to die. There are basically only three ways to die. The first way a person can die is die in innocence like a baby. To die in a state of innocence like a baby. And you have probably been involved in funerals for babies. I I have. I've been with families who go and pick out a casket for that little one and that makes upon you, it impresses upon you a memory that you'll never uh, forget. But babies die in a state of innocence. They do not die lost in their sins. Babies do not inherit sins uh, from their parents. We read in Ezekiel 18 and 20 that the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father and the father shall not bear the iniquity of the son. But um, religious teachers going way back several hundred years ago began to teach that um, people are born sinners. Okay. But then they got to thinking about that. And it, took, it took a few years for them to think about it. They got to thinking about it. You know, if, if babies are born into this world sinners and then they die also as babies, then that makes them lost. And so they came up with this little patch called infant baptism. And so because their tube of being born in sin kind of blown, the tube blown, they had to create this little patch, if you will, a religious patch to say, well, voila, then babies need to be baptized because of this. And of course, we know all that's not right according to uh, scriptures. Babies are innocent. Little children are innocent. Listen to Jesus in Matthew uh, 19, 13 and 14, he says, Allow little children to come unto me, and, and do not forbid them from doing so, for of such is the kingdom of God. It seems that Jesus is holding up children as models of those who would desire to be part of the very kingdom of God. So one way to die is to die in a state of innocence. And there's only two other ways to die. Either out of the Lord or in the Lord. To die out of the Lord is to die without a Bible-based hope. You see, listen to Paul, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, where he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. Notice how quickly Paul puts the world in two classes. Those who are in Christ have hope. The others in the world I have no hope. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes a similar point. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. He says, those who are without Christ 
are also without God and have no hope in this world. And in verse 13 he says, but, but, in Christ Jesus, those who were afar off have now been made near through the blood of Jesus. And so notice that you're either in the Lord or you're out of the Lord. We can die in a state of innocence, yes, when we're young, very young. But after that, there's only two choices, either dying in the Lord or out of the Lord. And the ideal comes real fast to us. Well, how do I get from out to in? The Bible makes that really clear, doesn't it? Romans 6 and verse 3, for instance, Paul says, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death. And then notice a similar statement by Paul in Galatians 3 and 27, where he says, Those who are baptized into Christ did put on Christ. What happens to those who are not baptized based on their faith, based on their repentance, okay, based on their penitent heart? What happens to those who are not baptized for their remission of sins? Well, they don't end up putting on Christ. Going back to Romans 6 verse 3, what happens to those who are not baptized into Christ? Then they're not baptized into the death of Christ. They never come in contact with the very work that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And so three ways to die, either innocent, out of the Lord, or in the Lord. Well, speaking of being clothed with Christ, that, that's to be a continuous process through uh, continuing, continuing to put on the instructions of the, of the Lord, continuing to learn how to uh, carry out the will of the Lord, we continue to put on Christ. It seems that Paul was giving a warning about this in Romans 13, 14. In Romans 13, 14, he says, Put ye on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the lust of the flesh, lest you start fulfilling those very lusts and desires of the flesh. It seems like that some Christians in Rome were beginning to forget about the fact they had put on Christ. They were beginning to make provisions. They were seeking for opportunities to fulfill the lust of the flesh, just like the other parts of the world were doing. Paul's giving them a warning. You put on Christ, but you can also take him off. All right. The third major point I want us to see here from this beatitude in Revelation 14, 13, is to notice that those who die in the Lord die in a state of happiness. That's what the word blessed means. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. To die in the Lord is to die in a state of happiness. And notice how this word is used uh, in Acts 26 and verse 2. This is the life of Paul. And Paul has been captured now for quite some time. He, you know, reading in Acts uh, 24, he appears before Felix and then they... Felix is discharged, discharged to another place and a fellow named Festus comes in and Paul remains in prison. And then this other fellow comes along, Agrippa. And so in the beginning of Acts chapter 26, Paul's going to finally get his chance to stand before Agrippa. And he says to Agrippa, Acts 26 and verse 2, he says, I am most happy, Agrippa, to be able to make my defense here before you. To be able to answer all these false accusations the Jews have come uh, with me, come to me uh, with. 
And he goes on to say, you, Agrippa, you know the customs of the Jews. You know the controversies of the Jews. And I am delighted to be able to make my case before you today. Think about being in, Paul, being in Paul's shoes. And he should never have been arrested in the first place. He was not doing a thing wrong. Not a thing wrong. Now he's been languishing. He's, think about how anxious he was to be out here teaching the gospel. Be out here encouraging Christians. He's been languishing now in these jail cells there in Jerusalem for, for quite some time. And he's anxious. Maybe this opportunity before Agrippa will bring his release or make some progress in his case. He's most delighted to have this opportunity. That's, that's the word here in, um, that's used for blessed. Most delighted. Uh, very happy. So those who die in the Lord are in this state of joy and happiness. In order to emphasize this, we remind ourselves of Luke 16, 19-31, where Jesus tells about a rich man and Lazarus. I don't believe this is a parable at all. I believe it's a, it's a real account of two men. Uh, in the parables, uh, the characters are not usually named, but here we have a character who is named. His name, the poor man here, his name is, is Lazarus. And there's a rich man who has fared sumptuously, and you know the story, clothed in purple and fine linen. And at his gate was laid um, a very poor fellow uh, by the name of Lazarus. And both of them die. It just simply says that the rich man died and was buried. But concerning the righteous man, Lazarus, it says that the angels came and carried him, him uh, to Abraham's bosom. What that means is that his body went back to the earth from which it came, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. But his soul was carried, the real him was carried to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom helps us here. This is uh, kind of a figure of a speech uh, that means a place of honor and a place of closeness uh, to the Lord. The same little phrase is used when Jesus is gathered with his disciples, what we call the Last Supper, John 13, 23. And it says that John there is in the bosom of Jesus. Uh, the English Standard Version says he's just at a very close place with Jesus. To be in someone's bosom is to be in a place of dignity, happiness, respect, and it's a blessed state, okay? a very close state. For us, that's what that means, is that when we die in the Lord, we are able to go and be very close to Him. And that was the experience of Lazarus there in Luke 16, and that can be our experience um, as well. Notice also there in Luke 16, about verse 25, this is when the rich man had started his conversation with Abraham. And um, so Abraham says to the rich man, he says, you know, in your life you had all these good things. And now you're here and you're tormented and you're in this anguish. Lazarus, though, he didn't hardly have anything in life, but he was a righteous man. Now he is comforted. Zero in on that word comfort there. Notice that. Lazarus dying in the Lord brought him to a place of comfort. Contrast that with the rich man who's now in anguish. He's in anguish. Think about, um, think about Lazarus' uh, life on earth. Uh, daily he was laid at the rich man's gate. The word laid there, many scholars say, doesn't simply mean to lay someone, but rather 
to throw someone out. As if, as if someone would put Lazarus into a cart every day and they get to the rich man's gate and they just kind of dump him out there and they move on with their business. And then we read there in Luke 16 that every day the, do- the dogs would come and, and they would lick his sores. Okay. So physically speaking, as far as this world's existence goes, Lazarus had a difficult time, though he was a righteous uh, person. But now, dying in the Lord, he is comforted. He's in that happy uh, state. How do you pray when someone who is faithful as the day is long? How do you pray for them? How do you pray when you begin to see that their, their body is being worn out and it's getting uh, more and more so? And yet they're just as faithful a person as you ever would ever uh, want to find. How do you pray for that person? You know, I wonder sometimes if instead of just clinging to their existence, if the Lord would expect us, and I'm just wondering out loud, but I wonder if the, the Lord would expect us to pray uh, in respect to Him, of course, that, that, that they could just move on. Because what is waiting for them is such an enormous place of joy. To die in the Lord is to die in a very happy, blessed, delightful condition. Now some believe um, and teach in this idea of of soul sleeping. That when you die you just fall asleep and you're not not at all conscious. You don't know what's going on. But we can see that's not true. Because happiness, blessedness, happiness is, is part of, um, you can't be happy without, unless you're conscious. We don't even know what it would mean to be unconscious and happy. It, it just doesn't happen. You can't, be in, you can't be in anguish like the rich man was and be unconscious. That's it, a component of being conscious, both anguish and happiness. And being comforted, being comforted is also part of having, having a conscious state. Now, this stand here doesn't have any, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not in a conscious state. This stand here is unconscious. Can you imagine me? What would you think of me if I begin to rub this stand and say, I'm going to comfort you, stand. You, you little pulpit here, you, you look distressed, and I'm, I'm just going to try to comfort you. It'll be okay. You know, you'd think, well, he really has lost it now. And uh, it doesn't even make sense to us. It doesn't make sense when someone says, well, you just die and you become totally unconscious because of all the words that's used to describe both, both those who do not die in the Lord and those who die uh, in the Lord. And so our third major point here from our beatitude is that those who die in the Lord die in a state of happiness. Our fourth major point is that those who die in the Lord die in a state of rest. That's what the Spirit says here in Revelation 14, 13. The Spirit says, yes, yes, that they may rest from their labors. Now, I love the idea, and I believe it's true, that we are saved in order to be saved. That we enjoy salvation now, but we'll enjoy ultimate salvation in heaven. That's why we must remain uh, faithful. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. But notice what 
Going back to Romans 13, this time verse 11. Notice what Paul says in Romans 13, verse 11. He says, our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Okay. I think he's talking about the fact that, that we're drawing near every day that we live. We're taking a step closer to eternity. Every day that we live, we're taking a step closer to heaven. That's what he's saying. The time, the night is about gone. The time is far spent. The day uh, is at hand. He says our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. And you need to cast off all these works of darkness that you're involved in and put on uh, Jesus Christ. We are saved to be saved. I think it's the same idea with rest. Rest. When we come to the Lord, to the Lord, He gives us rest, and then when we finally get to heaven, that's going to be our ultimate rest. So there's a present salvation that we enjoy, an ultimate salvation we will enjoy. There's a present state of being in the church, the kingdom of God. But in Second Timothy four eighteen, Paul says he's looking forward to the day where the Lord delivers him into the heavenly kingdom. And so there's the idea of being in the kingdom now, yes, but eventually into that heavenly kingdom. And there's the idea that right now we're enjoying rest from God in order to be able to stay faithful. And finally, one day, when we die in the Lord, we'll enjoy that ultimate rest uh, from Him. You see, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. I believe that's talking about our initial time of coming to the Lord. Come unto me, all you that, ha- that labor and are heavy burden. In other words, all of you who are under the guilt of sin, come unto me. He says, come unto me and I'll give you rest. But in order to get that rest, you've got to learn of me. Take my yoke. What's a yoke mean? Yoke means work. So when we learn of Jesus, we submit to Him, and then we go to work for Him. That situation brings rest to us right now. And when we stay in that situation, we stay faithful, then finally the Lord will reward us with an ultimate rest. Now how do you harmonize the rest, that R-E-S-T, that we'll enjoy in heaven, with um, the fact that the Bible says we'll be very busy in heaven? Look over with me to Revelation 7. Revelation 7, I believe it is. We're going to look down to verse 15. Revelation 7, 15. I love this little passage. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, those in heaven. And they serve him day and night in his temple. Now day and night here would just be kind of a figurative thing because we know there's no night there, really. Okay. But the idea is they're continuously serving the Lord. Notice, they serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Okay. And so how do we harmonize the fact that There's going to be rest in heaven, but yet this scripture tells us that we're also going to be very busy serving the Lord day and night uh, there. Well, the rest in heaven will be rest from the earth life. 
I think we all understand that. We'll, we'll be resting from the, from the rigors, from the frustrations, from the tiredness, from the mistakes, from the distractions. Okay. All that's encompassed in earth life that brings us oftentimes misery will be away from that and we're able to serve God more freely in heaven. See, if you keep reading here in Revelation 7, it goes on to say, He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence, that's wonderful, and they shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear uh, from their eyes. So our fourth major point is that those who die in the Lord will enter into a state of not only happiness but also rest. Now let's think about a couple more ideals. Just those in the Lord right now. Those in the Lord right now are there because they obey the Lord. If we ever get to heaven, it will be because we have responded in obedience to the Lord. Notice here in our Beatitude, Revelation 14, 13, it says, And their works do follow them. Works. Works. Works means works of obedience. Okay. Now, I know in certain religious circles out here that the word work is um, fearful to some people. It's like they, they get in horror. You can't talk about work and, and the religion of Jesus. You can't do that. Okay. Uh, they'll even start um, abbreviating the word work and just say, well, that's the W word. You know how they do it. Something you're scared, out, scared of in the world, you just say the first letter of that word. That, that word. Okay. Like, um, you know, it's the M word would be marriage. Okay. The K word would be kids. All right. So the W word, and it seems like some in the religious world are just really scared of, of the idea of work. But it is a legitimate Bible word. Okay. And all you got to do is just notice that it's used in different senses. Romans three twenty eight says, we are not justified by the works of the old law. That's easy to understand. The, the old law of Moses has been nailed to the cross. Jesus has now brought in his better covenant, his better system, his better uh, law. We are now under law to Christ, 1 Corinthians 9 says. Okay. We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6 verse 2. Right? So that's one way the word works is used. And then Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man uh, should boast. That's referring to works that man creates. Works that man creates and based on man's wisdom. Okay, as if we might sit down and write out a whole script or a whole plan of works for ourselves to do in order to save ourselves. Okay. And that's not what we do in religion. But the third category of works that's used in the New Testament are works that God designs for us. And those are the works of obedience that we do. For an example of this, look over with me to John chapter 6 real fast, and then we'll move on. John chapter 6, verse 27 or so, Jesus in 
another conversation with some of both followers and enemies, but notice in John chapter 6, Jesus said in verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. So notice that there is labor for us to do. There's work uh, for us to do. Then they ask him uh, this question. Verse 28. What must we do to work the works of God? Now if, if there was some sort of disdain for the works of God, this would be a great opportunity for Jesus to speak up and say, look, you don't need to be talking about works of God. That's not right. But he doesn't do that. He said, this is the work of God that you believe on Him who has sent me. That you believe. In Matthew 12, 41, Jesus spoke of the days of Noah that they repented at the preaching of Jonah. The days of Jonah. I might have said Noah. But they repented during the days of Jonah when he preached. Okay, if you go back to Jonah Chapter 3, you notice what happened there. When Jonah preached, everyone from the king on down, they repented. They, they got in sackcloth and ashes and they repented of the evil things they were doing. God saw their works. And that's exactly what it said in Jonah 3, 9 and 10. God saw their works and he, he stayed away from He turned away from the, the destruction he was about to bring upon Nineveh. So there are works that God designs for us to do. Among those is belief, repentance, and and baptism, and anything else that God would design for us to do according to to His will. And so we see here that uh, those in the Lord are those who obey the Lord. Now go back to Revelation 14, 13 for a second and notice that for those who are faithful and who will be in heaven, their works do follow him. If someone divorces himself from all works, then what's going to follow him when he dies? It is designed that when we die, our works will follow us. If someone has just cast off all works and just got real scared of all religious works, then what is it that's going to follow them as they die? And the next point, real fast, is that those in the Lord, not only do they obey the Lord, but they labor. They work very hard. They rest from their labors. I wanted to bring this out because the word labor there is a very intense word. It means to labor and to work to the point of pain. And that's the idea of Christian living. Okay? It's not to work in a casual way or work when it's convenient for you, but rather to give your life as much as possible uh, to the Lord and to serve Him uh, faithfully. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 15. He said, I will most gladly spend and be spent. A lot of people are glad to spend, but they're not glad to be spent. They're glad to give their money, but they save their own bodily energy and their own time to themselves. Paul said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's the idea. Galatians 6, verse 17, we read Paul saying that he bears in his body the marks of Jesus Christ. And we know that he meant that literally. 
both emotionally, energetically, physically. Paul gave himself to the work of Christ. And so see here, those in the Lord are those who obey. Those in the Lord are those who labor in a very intensive way. And those in the Lord are those who have peace. They have a deep faith and peace. This is why we have this beatitude here in Revelation 14, 14, 13. It's not, it's not just to give us some ideas about what's happening or what's going to be facing us at death and afterwards, but rather it is to create within us now a deep faith and peace. And I only know how to do this by referring to one Old Testament um, story real fast. It's during the time of Elisha, and it's this Shumanite uh, lady that he became, became acquainted with their family, she and her husband and, and a little boy. The boy got old enough to go out with his dad to work. One morning he went out with his dad to work, and after a little while, the little boy started saying, my head, my head, my head hurts. And the dad told, told some of the workers, said, take him home to his mother. And that's exactly what you ought to do. Okay. Take him to his mother. Well, he got home to his mother, and his mother put him in, put him in um, her lap. And by noontime, the boy died. And she quickly made arrangements to go see Elisha. And as she approached the hill where Elisha lived, they saw her coming. Elisha said to his servant Gehazi, he said, I believe that's the Shumanite woman. Go and meet her and ask her, is it well with her? Is it well with her husband? Is it well with the child? And I want you to know that he went and asked her that. And she responded and said, she said, it is well. When the servant of Elisha went and asked, is it well with you? She, even though her son has died. She was able to say, it is well. How was she, did she believe that Elisha would be able to bring her son back to life? Something had grabbed hold of her heart to where she was able in that moment to have a peace and a tranquility that very few ever are able to experience. This is why the Lord gives us these beatitudes, and particularly this one, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. We're here to help each other, encourage one another, build one another up as we extend the Lord's invitation here as Brother Tim leads us uh, in this great song. If you need to name the name of the, Lo of the Lord, if you need to be uh, buried with Christ in baptism to be able to uh, be raised to walk in newness of life, we invite you to come if you'd like to start anew, that's a great part of the Lord's grace and mercy, even to His children. It is true, we can begin to put Jesus off just as easily as we put Him on. And have you begin to take Him off? And if so, why don't you stop right now and decide you're going to put Him on again. And you're going to become His faithful servant. Please come right now as we stand together, as we sing.